This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to create a compelling elevator pitch. As the name implies, the elevator pitch rose as an opportunity to capture the attention of senior execs or upper level folks that you want to impress. If you happen to meet them or him or her in an elevator and you only had minutes to make an impression. Maybe less than that. Maybe less than that, depending on how many floors you have in the building, right? Exactly. Now the name is brought into any situation and only gives you minutes to make a pitch to capture the attention of someone so they want to know more. Yes, and as a point of reference, elevator pitches have been made popular by shows like Shark Tank, but in your everyday world, you're making elevator pitches all of the time. When your 30-minute pitch meeting to your boss gets cut to 5 to 10 minutes, or when you're trying to win new work and your client has a five-minute attention span, which happens also happens, <laughs> or when you're cold-calling prospects or leads or influencers or journalists, pretty much anybody you don't know but you want to capture their attention, this all requires an effective elevator pitch. Yeah, you can almost count social as a type of elevator yep. pitch as well, as just a different platform as you're trying to capture people's attention as you're scrolling. But we'll kind of focus on the things that April just mentioned for most of this. And because creating an elevator pitch is really a form of storytelling, shortened storytelling, but storytelling all the same, we have a special guest who's actually one of my very favorite people. <laughs> His name is Shane Meeker. He's the author of the book, Story and Mythos, and he's a storytelling keynote speaker. Hi, Shane. Love for you to introduce yourself to everybody. Oh, well, hello. And, and you know, thank you both for, for having me. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Anne and I worked together many years. And April, it's a pleasure to meet you as well. So thank you both for, for having me on your show. And uh, yeah, so my name is Shane Meeker, and I'm a storytelling kind of presenter, keynote speaker, coach, uh, and workshop facilitator, I suppose. And I'm also the Procter & Gamble company historian and corporate storyteller. I know that title sounds totally made up, but uh, <laughs> I, but, but I actually, uh, that is the title. And, and I got that because... I was first hired in as an industrial designer and I did design for quite a while and I, and I love the design industry and the design world, but I'm also a big movie buff and every movie buff at some point wonders if they could write a movie. And so I had, I had a couple ideas, I had a couple ideas. And so I, I started writing them out and quickly learned something, which is no matter how many movies you watch, it actually doesn't help you write them. I will tell you that <laughs> those skills have nothing to do with each other at all. And, and my screenplays were awful. And so I, I hadn't put in my 10,000 hours, as Malcolm Gladwell would call it, you know, in his book, Outliers, the practice, if you will. So I started spending my weekends in, in L.A., sometimes taking classes. I took classes in Chicago. I took classes in New York. I'd go to, you know, different film festivals. I would read any book I could find on it. Uh, you know, I studied psychology of storytelling, mythology, anything I could get my hands on. And one day realized everything I was learning, I could, you know, apply back to the business world. And, and I actually worked uh, in our Pampers brand at the time. And I went to my boss one day and told her that I'd figured out how to use what works in Star Wars to solve innovation problems. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, you have to have the right boss when you say that. I, and I did. She was awesome. And she said, well, Shane, you know, I, 
I don't know exactly what you mean by that, but I'm intrigued. Sure, you know, give it a go. And I started teaching storytelling as just kind of a an innovation tool, as a communications tool, as a strategy tool, as just a, a presentation tool. I mean, it was incredibly flexible and uh, been doing that kind of ever since, uh, you know, enough that they, you know, created that position and let me do it pretty much, you know, full time. And, and then they're really cool too. And that as long as, you know, I take vacation stuff, I also share externally and I share at companies like Walt Disney and FedEx and Nationwide and Lockheed Martin. And because, you know, everyone's got great stories to tell. Everyone's got great stories to tell. And uh, and so I do workshops and, you know, and keynotes and sessions just to help them, you know, really see and enhance that inner storyteller that I know everyone has. That's awesome. And I love what you said about just because you've seen a bunch of movies doesn't necessarily make you a good screenwriter because we say all that time about marketing. Just because you look at marketing doesn't actually make you a good a marketer. marketer. Yes. It makes you a good critic <laughs> of study. it. It can make you a good critic. Like I'm a good movie <laughs> critic for sure. I know what I like, right? And I maybe know why I like it and don't. Doesn't mean I could do it better though. Doesn't mean yeah. I could do it better. Yeah. You're right. They're very different skill sets. Very different Yeah. Skills. But I appreciate all the studying you've done, but makes you an awesome expert to help us with this episode. So yep. we'll jump in. So how to create a compelling elevator pitch. The first point is keep it short by using sound bites. So the biggest mistake people will make is they try to load way too much into an elevator pitch. So they think the listener needs to know as much as they do in order to be able to get it and be able to absorb it and be able to react to it. But really the trick to a strong elevator pitch is to selectively pull out sound bites that do four things. The first has to set up the challenge. The second, it needs to provide a solution. The third, gives a compelling anecdote. And four, it ends with a need or a question depending on the audience. So let me give an example. So I have this new idea for how we can generate more leads through a new marketing tool I discovered. That is your setup, it sets up the challenge. This marketing tool allows you to set up customized drip campaigns to a target we have difficulty reaching. That's the solution. The company claims other businesses like ours have 10 extra leads in the first month. That's a compelling antidote to kind of get somebody's attention. I'm like, hmm, I mean, that, that's interesting to me. And then I'm trying to secure 5,000 to do a test and learn, or can I have 5,000 for a test and learn, which is your statement or your question, depending on the audience. So if I had said that all together, that would take me probably, what, 10, 15 seconds yeah. to kind of get through. And you told like a very complete story in that whole thing. People are starting to kind of understand where you're coming from, why you're doing it, what they might need from you, all of this um, that's important in order to be able to provide a very compelling elevator pitch. So many will tend to embellish this whole very simple story with a lot of superfluous details that actually will come up as the dialogue starts to be generated. And that is really what's important here. The important thing here is you want to create a dialogue. You want to have the listener like engage enough and kind of capture their attention enough that they start asking you questions like, huh, tell me more about that. Or can we set up some more time so I can understand more about that? Or what would the money get us? Or even just a, a simple statement of keep me posted on that. So Shane, I know you've been helping brands of all shapes and sizes trying to figure this out. So what can you tell us more about on this topic? Yeah, so... I mean, you know, the first thing I would say, and it's, I love the name elevator pitch. And, you know, when I ask teams sometimes, you know, why do you think it's called an elevator pitch? I always get the one answer, which is absolutely right, which is, well, it's got to be short. Uh, and like, unless mm -hmm. you said, you know, in the beginning, unless it's a really tall building and maybe, you know, there's lots of time. <laughs> it is, it's got to be short. You hit all the buttons. And that's important. Exactly. Uh, but the second most important part you allude to there at the end, which I think is, is fantastic. And that is, you know, it works when the door is open and rather than walk out on their floor, which you're supposed to do, 
they actually stop for a second. Like, you know, that is really, really interesting. Listen, do you have a card with you? Cause I'd love to follow up or, or they say something like, uh, I'm sorry, this is my floor. Um, gosh, but could you walk with me for two minutes? I'd love to ask you a couple more questions or, you know, if the door opens up and they just kind of turn or like, well, have a good day and, and walk <laughs> off, then, you know, your pitch kind of bombed, right? Because they didn't change anything that they were doing. They didn't change the, 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 the you know, what they were thinking about at that moment in time. And uh, so seeing that quick reaction, that eyebrow raise, that can I have a car, something like that means you were on the right track. You know, you were on the right track. I often recommend to folks that they have maybe even a few kinds of pitches, uh, you know, maybe a 10 second one, maybe uh, a minute one, and then maybe, you know, a five to 10 minute, you know, which is kind of, it's almost like double clicking on each of them. You know, there's that real short one, then there's a little bit more, and then there's, let's really go into some detail, but you probably wouldn't start with a big one. Honestly, you would start with that small one and see if it intrigues them. I'm a, a big fan of what's called the what if pitch, where the pitch is actually in the form of a question already. Because when it's in a question, it begs for an answer. Like, you know, what if a kid went back in time and interfered with his parents' relationship? <laughs> uh, which is, you know, a, a pitch for one of my favorite films from the 80s, Back to the Future, right? Uh, or what if you could go to a zoo today and see real dinosaurs, uh, which is a, a great one for Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yep. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, products, uh, Steve Jobs once said something very similar to this, which is, you know, what if you had a thousand songs in your pocket, uh, which is a great, you know, way to, to visualize the iPod. And then uh, what if you could book a room with locals instead of with hotels, right, which right. is, you know, but see, they're, they're quick, they're, they're visual, um, and you're basically helping the audience see what you want them to see with the words in it. They're, they're very transparent. And uh, if anyone gets Disney Plus out there, I'd highly encourage you to watch the Imagineering story, uh, which on episode five, uh, Kevin Rafferty, one of the Imagineers there, tells a story how at Disney, when they're proposing new ride ideas, they basically, in some cases, they have to break it down into one sentence, one sentence, you know, to really convey the right idea. His whole point at the end of that, and he gives a great example, but his whole point at the end of that is if you know, it, you have to be able to describe it in one line, because if it's hard for you to present it or to pitch it or to understand yourself, then you probably just don't have it yet. Doesn't mean the idea is not there. You just haven't found the simplest, most telegraphic and transparent way to share it, you know, and you, and you need to keep working on that. Yeah, I love that. Um, the way I always think about the elevator pitch, you know, you said, Shane, you want that pause or you want to see the look on their face or they kind of tilt their head like I'm doing right now, mm -hmm. which no one can see me. Um, <laughs> but you're looking to hook them. And so I love the example of the one sentence because I'm always a big fan of saying, what's the one thing you want them to take away? Right. 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 So in that yeah. moment, and you, we've said you have such a small amount of time. If you only communicate one thing or they only hear one thing, yes. what is that going to be? And I think that's a similar exercise because just like the Disney example, if you can't boil it down to that one thing you want them to take away, then like you said, you haven't hit it yet. It's yeah. not there. And it's not that it's not there somewhere. That's it's right. It's just that the way you're saying it is not there yet. You're right, not there yet. Yeah. Uh, David Belasco, who wrote Madam Butterfly, I found this quote online uh, that he supposedly said, which is which is fantastic, though. You know, if you can't write your idea on the back of my calling card, you don't have a clear idea. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that, by the way, is a great test, uh, you know, for, for your listeners and for everyone to try is, you know, take your business card, turn it over. And in that space, how would you pitch your idea? You know, if you, if you can't fit it in that space, again, you're leaving out a lot of details. You can't, but you know, like Ann was saying, you can't communicate the whole story. If there was one core part of the story that you think was critically important for them to really get excited about, what is that one sentence version of that part that they'd be like, oh, wow. So how does that work? Or how does this work? I'm glad you asked. Why don't we grab a cup of coffee sometime? I'd love to explain in more detail, you know, and, and then you know it's working. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't understand what a, um, an actual business card is, then ask somebody who's 40 or older. <laughs> that's right. For those of us that still remember a business card. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. It has actually been a while since I've given out a business card. I have to say it has. Yeah. 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 But I do love the what if too, because that speaks to opportunity. It starts to kind of relate based on what's opportunity and what's possible. So I love that um, articulation of that as well. Uh, so our second point about creating a compelling elevator pitch is know your audience and be intentional. So I have seen it, and I'm sure both Shay and April will agree, more pitches fall flat because people don't take the time to know who they are talking to. Mm-hmm. All right, since your elevator pitch needs to be short, which we've already basically checked the box on and we all know that that needs to be true you actually need to make some assumptions about your audience and specific things about your audience that's going to help you basically relate your pitch to them in a way that they're going to be receptive so you need to know about what your audience cares about you need to know actually what they know and they don't know potentially on your topic their tendencies their triggers and then you need to strategize how best to engage and the more you know and the more informed you you are about this person, the better those sound bites will be, the better that what if question is going to be, because you're going to be able to really kind of like hone in on what is going to really resonate with them. So this means, as Shane pointed out, you actually have to plan these encounters. I mean, whether it's yourself or your idea, your product, your business, you need to be ready to take advantage of these opportunities when they arise. Too many people kind of get in these situations and then they don't know what to go do. And then the situation passes them by and you're like, well, I mean, that's life, right? Mm -hmm. So don't be that person (laughs) that that situation passes you by. Be prepared with that 10 second, with that one minute, with that two minute, which you can then elaborate based on how much time you have. The pitch stays the same, but you can add examples. You can add more what ifs. You can add ideas that kind of make that a little bit more of a richer conversation. To really be very specific about this, the biggest thing that annoys me when people elevator pitch me marketing services is when they don't acknowledge the fact that we are a marketing agency, right? (laughs) So just a very specific point, if they would actually take their two minutes to know us, know what we do, know how we have our business actually set up, they would see that we are just April and I, and we have a bench of really fantastic and really talented freelancers and boutique agencies. So instead of pitching us to do marketing for us, they should be pitching to be on our bench. Yes. Right. And so when we've talked about cold calls, which we're going to have an episode on that, that is a really big point of like taking that pitch and really fine tuning it to be able to uh, really relate in a way that's going to get that attention of your listener. You know, even as another example, a more broader example that people would be able to um, understand is like if you watch Shark Tank, which you mentioned in the beginning, 
if you see each one of the sharks, they all have a different personality. They all have a different things that they're searching for, what they're listening for, what matters to them. So Kevin O'Leary, which happens to be one of my favorites, who's also known as Mr. Wonderful, he always <laughs> asks about sales, always asks about sales. So you should assume in your elevator pitch that you have something about sales in it in order to be able to relate to him. Otherwise, that becomes a question that's sitting there triggered in his head, primed and ready to go. And he's probably not even listening to anything yep. else you have to say. So. Shane, um, what else do you have to say about this? I know you talk a lot about the audience. You just mentioned it before in some of your early examples. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, uh, as well as I do at P&G, we always say consumer is boss because everything right. is you know, designed and for them. I like to think about that from a story standpoint, the same way audience is boss, right? So you've got to know, like you said, who you're talking to, what are going to be their interests, what are going to be their concerns. Uh, and, and, you know, one way to really start to, to, to think about that is to test them. The great thing about pitches is they're short. They're easy to test. You know, write out a couple pitches, uh, share it with some colleagues, share it with some friends. Say, hey, if you heard this pitch, what are some of the first questions that come to your mind? What part of this is most interesting to you? Is, there, is this confusing? Is it clear? What, tell me, when you read this, what do you see in your mind's eye? What is the product? What is the service you think I am offering after reading this? So I would not necessarily recommend winging it, uh, you know, to your point, having those pitches uh, ready. I mean, some people can do that. Some people can do that. But uh, I would normally recommend that it's important to plan ahead for these, like you said earlier, and to have a couple of those versions and practice them. Practice how you would deliver them. Practice when you can tell, I can see I need to go deeper. And I see, I can tell I need to go deeper in this part. Maybe it's about sales. Maybe it's about the finances. Maybe it's actually about the marketing of it. Maybe it's about the R&D of it. You know, I, I don't know, but you'll be able to tell once you do this enough from your audience that like, ooh, I can tell that they want more on that bit. I should expand on that. But to do that, you've always got to be paying attention to your audience too at all right. times. Yeah, I think that's a great really point. Good. And, you know, we talk test and learn constantly on this show. And I think your point, Shane, is really well taken of making sure that you are responding in kind, whether in the situation or afterward, like you said, to go back and refine what you're talking about. And, Anne, as you were going through, one of the things that I thought about is the more you can be in the driver's seat, which comes from preparation, the better. So you Absolutely. never want to be caught on your heels. So so in, in the example of Shark Tank, if you know one of the questions is always about sales, that should be built into your pitch. However, if you don't do your homework, then you don't know that. And so then you're having to react in the moment to what they're saying. And Anne's point about us being pitched for people to do marketing services, I mean, it's such a hot button for me because yeah. nothing comes across more tone deaf than you wanting to take my time, but then not respecting me enough to have learned about me and what it is about me that might be compelling or something that you can provide to me. And so I think it is, you know, and as we're getting into this topic really deeply, I just keep thinking about the art of it right? Mm -hmm. It's it's just such an art to be able to react in the moment, to nuance your pitch, to learn about people. And it's not just about what do I do for a living, but who am I as a person? I think that's a big part of the audience piece too. It's who am I talking to as a human being, not just mm -hmm. said title person out there as my quote unquote audience. Yeah. But and you said something really important there, I think, April, around time in particular, because even if it's a one minute pitch, even if it's a five minute, even if it's a 20 minute, there, there's something that that, by the way, is the most precious currency exchange in the story is time, because for any story to take place, 
both sides are are giving time, time to listen, time to tell, time, you know, for both. And I always uh, make this thing, you know, in, in my head whenever I'm getting ready to present called the storyteller's promise, I call it. And that is, I promise as a storyteller to try to inform, to engage, to inspire, to entertain, if you're willing to give me your only non-renewable resource, uh, which of course is time. And so, you know, for folks in the audience, if you've got to, you know, do a pitch, if you're being called in for a pitch, if it's scheduled and they've given you 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, an hour, whatever it is, just remember you're taking up a big chunk of that time. Make it worth the time. Show that you're excited. Show that you're enthusiastic. Show that you're passionate. Do the research. Uh, even if you know someone may ask sales, they may not, but you better have it in your back pocket in case they do, right? So you could still wire your pitch a different way, but just be ready that if they ask you, like, ah, that's a great question. Let me explain that. And you can go right into it, you know, even if it wasn't in the core pitch. But yeah, the uh, remembering the value of time, I think is very important. It's very important. I love that. And I also like the the point about reading the room. I mean, mm -hmm. so so much we get so absorbed in our, what we want to say and how we want to say it. And, and we forget to actually read the person or the audience that we're, we're talking to to make sure that they're receiving it to make sure you know what 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 part is like sparking to them what part may they might be confused by so i love that point too i i would recommend everyone that you have some what i call friendly editors you can talk to. yeah <laughs> uh, because you know there's there's folks that, that i can show them stuff i'm working on and i'll get the oh you know uh, it looks good. It looks good. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> and you know, and that's lovely. I appreciate that. That is. But you know, you need more of that. Um, well, you know, I read it, and um, so I love the beginning. But then it seemed I'm not. Con I, you know, I'm confused by this middle part. It seems like you're branching off to two ideas. I'm not sure. By the time we get at the end, I wasn't sure if you're trying to tie this back. Like that's good constructive feedback, and you've got to have folks close to you that you can say. Hey, would you do me a favor? Take a look at this. What do you think? Um, what do you think my key message is? What do you think my key takeaway is? What is the actual problem that this product or service truly solves? I mean, you know, can you pull that out from it? And you can't defend it if they come back and like, well, I think you're trying to say this. It's ah, what made you think I was trying to say that? Yeah, you know, yes. Dig into it, learn from it. You know, take and also that is not a simple thing to ask someone to do. Take them out for a Starbucks or a beer or something like that. Because if you're asking someone to really give you some good detailed feedback, that that takes time. That takes time too. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. So our third point about creating a compelling elevator pitch is to make sure the POD or the point of difference comes through. So this can be implicit or explicit. So when you're giving an elevator pitch of your idea, your product, your brand, your service or business, the POD is usually found somewhere in the solution or the anecdote like we talked about. Like in my early example, I say that the marketing tool has the potential to 10 times the leads in the first month. So even though that's not a explicitly stated POD, it does imply that this marketing tool is somehow better than potentially other tools we might have looked at. And it does get your attention as being something somewhat compelling It's like, hmm, okay, um, I haven't heard that before. Um, or maybe that sounds like something that we haven't like actually experienced before. So that could be a way to really capture people's attention. When we talk about forthright people, we talk about coach, train, do. Again, not an explicit POD, but it's definitely something that people are like, oh, I haven't heard that articulated like that yep. before. What does that mean? And how does that help me and my business? So it starts to kind of, again, create that dialogue. And it's definitely something that's memorable. When they come back to us, they, they definitely will tell us back to us 
you know, your coach train do thing. I think we want to kind of be in this coaching area or this training area or this doing area. So it starts to kind of be, create language too, that people yep. can actually have a conversation about. So we know we're all on the same page. Now, PODs tend to be more explicit in elevator pitches for products when it's common to compare against competitors. So even if the competitor isn't explicitly stated. So this is an experience that me and Shane had a gazillion times that I'd be showing up in the archives. I'm like, I need a new way to talk about Tide. Can you help me find another <laughs> way to talk about Tide, right? Or on Subbables or, you know, whatever you know, brand I was working on at the time. And Shane's always like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can sit down. Let's like we talk through that. And, you know, he was always so helpful in helping us figure that out. But for example, like Unstoppables right now claims that your clothes smell fresher for longer, right? Now that begs the question about what longer than what, what, you know, what that is that, but it's still the comparison makes it show up like a POD. Now, when you're elevator pitching yourself, it's generally more implied because yes. that takes a little bit more savviness. It takes a little bit more style and tact. So you don't come off as sounding like you're being overly salesy about yourself, which is a um, fear that a lot of folks have. So for more on this, we just have a recent episode on how to self-promote without sounding arrogant. So you could go listen to that one. But Shane, help us uh, with a little bit more about PODs and, and how do you instruct teams about how to make these things come through really, really compellingly? Sure. So I love the idea of PODs. PODs, again, for everyone, that's points of difference. But then there's also these things called POPs, which are points of parity. And right. And and being very honest with yourself as you think of your product, your service, your brand, your idea, you know, what are the POPs? Because there's always some of those. And then what are the true PODs? And often people will think the POD has to be a technology or something like that. And, and, and it doesn't. I mean, that can absolutely be one. You know, you look at a brand like, you know, Bounty uh, or Tide, which, you know, always does a great job of demonstrating side-by-side -side demos. You know, here is a dirty sock uh, and here is a clean sock, you know, before and after. You know, here is a Bounty paper towel. Here's a spill. Watch me literally, you know, watch this dish uh, go in, you know, covered in grease, go into Dawn and come out, you know, clean. So the technology can absolutely be that POD, but then make sure you showcase it. But it could also be the experience or the emotions from the experience, or it could be a combination of technology experience and emotions. It could be all those. But, you know, you, you take a brand like Airbnb, you know, which Airbnb, you know, there's hotel rooms and then there's Airbnb, right? And, and, and their POD wasn't booking a room per se. It was actually immersing you into a local community or a culture. It was expert hosted activities where they would have like, let's say the, the person that owns the Airbnb is a, a painter. You can set up an hour painting class with them, you know, and they'll do special stuff like that, which is really cool. There's special houses you can stay in. Like uh, I took my family a while ago and we stayed in the Tony Stark Endgame house. Uh, oh, there's a big surprise. The, the, <laughs> which of course was right up my alley. And I absolutely, wow. and oh my God, I, I probably tortured my kids, but I made them all act out the scenes and filmed all over the house. Like, okay, here's this shot. Let's recreate that shot. Uh, oh, you know, man. And, oh yeah, absolutely did that, by the way. I thought I was traumatized scene. by going to battlefields as I was growing up. This is just another kind of I took trauma. them to movie houses. I took <laughs> you know, just recently, I think it was this past Christmas, they the Home Alone house was in yes. Chicago and you, and you could book that. Yeah. Speaking my know, language. Uh, not long ago, my wife and I went to an Airbnb and the Airbnb that we were at was just for a weekend like getaway. But the owner of it was a butcher and uh, had, uh, you know, this this great local butcher shop and left us some of his award winning bacon and a couple steaks, you know, just just in the fridge, with a little nice note. Like that's a POD too. It's that total experience, you know, or um, 
Uh, Chewy is a great one. We use Chewy, uh, you know, for our dog food and stuff. And, you know, things like fast delivery and, and uh, you know, good return policies and stuff. I mean, quite honestly, those are points of parity in many ways because a lot of companies offer that, you know. But, you know, Chewy understands, you know, uh, how a pet is part of the family and they understand the emotion. They understand that. And one of the things that I found online was hundreds and hundreds of stories of how often people forget to turn their subscription off when a pet passes away. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, I saw it. Too. And yep. uh, and when that happens, you know, all of a sudden it's maybe been three weeks, and you know the pet owner's forgotten to do that, and they get this bag of dog food or cat food or whatever, and they're like, ah, oh, you know, I forgot to turn that off. And 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 they they call up Chewy, and Chewy immediately doesn't talk about refund policies and stuff like that. They talk about the pet. They ask the pet's name. They talk with the person on the phone. You know, there's a compassionate conversation going on. And then at the end, they may remind them, oh, by the way, I've already refunded your money. Don't worry about that. And also do not try to send the food back. Donate it to a local pet shelter or give it to a neighbor that has a pet or something, you know, do what you want. And then the amazing thing is, I can't tell you how many people online talk about this. A few days later, they get a card and they get flowers, Mm -hmm. right? you know, from Chewy and not signed by Chewy, signed by the person they talked to on the phone. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, so, you know, return policies and stuff like that really are kind of points of parity where compassion is the point of difference mm-hmm. there. That's a really fantastic point. And, and then, you know, you take something like Disney, you know, as a final example, and, and I'm a huge Disney fan. I love Disney. I love everything about Disney and going to Disney and the great experiences they put together. But, you know, Dis- Disney knows how powerful stories are. They know they know how that is. And, and their cast is all charged to create these magic moments, right? That people, you know, walk away and remember when, when they're done. And some of them can be very quick and very brief, you know, um, and I literally just uh, just a few months ago, a friend of mine told me this one. And it's amazing how many times when I ask people about a Disney trip, one of the first stories they'll tell me is about some kind of incredible cast member customer service moment that mm-hmm, went on, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know. Um, and I said, so how was your trip? And he's like, oh, Shane, you won't believe it. I've got to tell you the story. He said, so this was he has two daughters and it was his second daughter, his youngest daughter's first trip to Florida. She had heard that when you go to Florida, you got to try key lime pie. So she was really excited to try key lime pie. We're going to Florida. We got to try, I got to try key lime pie. So they're at the uh, Be Our Guest restaurant, the, the Beauty and the Beast uh-huh. yep. restaurant, you know, and it's dessert time. And the, you know, waitress rolled the, this tray around with some desserts on and um, immediately said his daughter shot her hand. I was like, do you have key lime pie? Do you have key lime pie? And the waitress was like, I am so sorry, honey. We actually don't have key lime pie here, but you know, we've got these desserts. Would one of these be okay? This one's really good. And you know, she went through and described each of them and all that. And he said his daughter picked one of the desserts and was totally fine. Had the dessert, great. And you know, they go about their day and they get back to their room that evening and they walk in and they had a room that had a little kitchenette in it. And uh, they get in there and there's this, this Mickey Mouse head shaped post-it or note or something, you know, that was, was on the fridge. And it said, sorry, we couldn't help you today. And they opened it up and there was a full key lime pie inside. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Wow. And, and, and I can't tell you how many times when I tell that story, then immediately someone say, oh my gosh, you got to hear my story. Yep. And then yep. they tell one. Yep. So, you know, that POD can be, it could be a technology. It could be an experience. It could be emotions. It could be your team. It could be a process you have. It could be a culture within your company. It, it can be a lot of different things. So don't think that it's just a tech. It yes. does not have to be, or a functionality. It does not have to be just that. Well, and I think the the points you make, and I mean, those are all such rich examples, which I, yeah. I think is amazing. But 
big or small, I think it's about the impact. And I feel like mm -hmm. what happens a lot of times is people gloss over the POD or right. they think a POP is a POD to get really right. your guys' acronyms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Way to go, April. Um, yeah. Love the acronyms. I have to, I have to take little jabs. Acronyms are great. They're great. Yeah, yeah. They're great. <laughs> but I think that the other side, so either people underthink or they overthink. And I think that's where things go wrong, right? So I think in one example, you have the just true simplicity of you're staying in an Airbnb. That host thinks, how can I have a small impact on these mm -hmm. people's visit? Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? That's right. Then you have things like Disney, which is all about the experience throughout, but they're still looking for ways to go above and beyond that and stand out and be different, mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's what you should be looking for is really what's going to cut through with people and really resonate with them whether we're talking about tech or we're talking about emotion or anything in between mm -hmm. service it's, and experience it doesn't yeah. matter yeah, yeah it doesn't matter it's what am i going to do and i like to think about those things as moments of delight right I love that. So for that me, is a PNG thing. Too. That is a. I know it's a PNG thing, right? But I, I know. <laughs> I love that word though. That's great. You know, but delight. there's, you know, there's a local restaurant that does blow people away. Whatever, whatever expression you want to use. Well, sure. Okay, fine. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I do the same thing. I kind of, and you're right. It's, it's stepping back and just thinking to yourself. You know, if your competitors can also deliver the same thing, it's probably not a POD. Yes. If it's just an expected benefit in the category you're in, it's probably not a POD. Yes. If there's an easier or better way to do it than what you're doing, it's probably not a POD. If yes. no one's telling stories about it, it's probably not a POD. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, just to put the final point on it with Tide, right? We use Tide in this house. We use all P&G products in this house, quite frankly. Nice. So nice. it's a little bit of a love-hate for me with, with you, you folks. Um <laughs> <laughs> but the Tide piece for me has always been about the smell of growing up in my house, right? And oh, I know yeah, I'm not yeah. the only one that says that, but yes, I use it because I have two little kids and, and I'm also a spiller and we have a dog and all that stuff. But really it's when I take the clothes out and I smell that, it's the nostalgia of that. And mm -hmm. I think the brand mm -hmm. does a good job of talking about that just as much, if not more than it's going to actually get it clean. And so I think there's always the balance of that too. It's like, what's really going to resonate with people beyond the laziness? I think there is some laziness to what happens here of, well, we do a really good job at this and that should be enough. It's no, what's the audience going to take away? Mm -hmm. And what are they yes. going to glom on to? And then to your point, go and talk about. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I love that section. That's definitely going to be our quick hit section. Yes. <laughs> I saw you make your notes, I did, so I knew. I did. <laughs> All right. The fourth point for creating a compelling elevator pitch is to leave them wanting more. And we talked about this a little bit, but let's put a finer point on it. Because as we mentioned in our first point, you really want to encourage further dialogue. That's the inquiry, the discovery. So you really need to leave them wanting more. We have talked a lot about compelling antidotes, but you know, what makes for one? So let's talk a little bit about that. So first, it needs to feel new or novel or unexpected, something that somebody hasn't heard before, but trigger them and say, hmm, you know, what's what's going on here? This is different. Uh, it may, it stokes curiosity, as you said, Shane, too. Like, how do they do that? I want to know more about that. Like, w w tell me, I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, maybe blown away, right? <laughs> um, or, Touché. yeah, thank you. Um, or it has the potential to have a meaningful impact on the business. So something that you know is important to the other person, 
which in this case, we're talking business, but it could be a multiple different topics, but whatever is going to resonate with them with regards to what is important to them as well. And you have that commonality there that can become a very compelling anecdote or it creates demand where somebody's like, I want that, or how do I get that? Like, yeah, give me, give me whatever that is. Right. So Shane, what are other ways of really creating these compelling anecdotes that you've seen? You know, the, the more I thought about this question, the more I was thinking, you know, this really comes back to just understanding good story fundamentals, like what makes the stories we love really, really stick with us the way they do, whether that be Harry Potter or Star Wars, I know, pick whatever your favorite movie is, which, by the way, I think is a, a great exercise to do. If you really want to understand how things keep you coming back and, and keep you wanting more, take a favorite movie of yours and say, hmm, let me break that down. You know, do I understand who this story is about? Do I understand what it is that they're after? Do I understand what the obstacles and challenges are in front of them and, and why I can engage in those? Do I understand what the stakes and consequences are of this storyline? Do, do I understand what the larger themes or lessons of this story are? Because if you can unpack a story, it teaches you how to build one. And that goes the same for pitch writing. If you can uh, learn to summarize a story it actually teaches you how to build one but to do that you do have to understand those basic fundamentals like the difference between a plot and a story a plot is just what happens and honestly there's only a few plots anyway and those plots keep being rehashed there's really no new plots there's only new perspectives <laughs> right there's only new perspectives that's it you know uh hamlet and with animals is Lion King and Pocahontas in outer space is Avatar and I mean it, it, it's all out there it's all out there right they, so it's a matter of how you're reframing the perspective, but people don't pay for plots. They pay for stories and stories are actually what people feel and do because of what happens in the plot. So there's that, that human interaction component. That's what we really pay to see. Cause like I said, if there's only a few plots, if the perspective changes, we have to know what that perspective means as it relates to the person that it affects. So, you know, hint, hint, this is why most ads show a lot of people in. Because, you know, uh, you can spend a little time on the science and the technology you can, which is really the plot. That's kind of the functionality, if you will. But they quickly show how that functionality affects people. How does this make my the job quicker, easier, faster? How it solves X, Y, Z problem? How it saves me this amount of time? How it makes this problem go away? I, it's something like that, right? But I mean, the people quickly get into that storyline. Um and it's, you know, there's three foundational, I'll call it ingredients of, of a story. Now, just having these doesn't mean the story is necessarily good, but there are three foundational ones. And that is uh, every hero must go through an obstacle to get to a treasure. And you've got to have all three of those. A hero is the window into the story, the source of empathy. And empathy is really powerful in leaving people wanting more because if they can see themselves in this situation, if they can understand why this is important, you know, because when you share your story, you've got to get across two things really fast. What is this story about and why should they care? And to do both of those, you better know how to pull them into the story because, you know, you always have a choice. You can push knowledge out or you can pull people in with a story that is pulling them in. And so you got to know who the hero is and you got to create that empathetic hero that they can relate to, whether that be the actual person you're talking to or a particular target audience that your brand or product or service is for. The obstacle is what's in the way. It's basically what's keeping them from getting what they're after. Uh, and that can be a myriad of things. It can be a lot of different things, you know. And but the obstacle is also the lifeblood of the story because, you know, it, it dictates the emotion and the power of the statement. If it's a problem that's uninteresting, if it's a problem that people don't think need to be fixed, 
it's pretty tough to make that, you know, sound really compelling. So it, the, the problem is really key in that. Uh, and then the treasure is that it's what they're after. It's the end goal. It's the end state. It's the end emotion. It could be a lot of different things, but it's basically what is the hereafter. So the way I sum all that up is who's the story for? What are they after? And what is in their way? If you can't answer those three things, then there is no story there. I mean, you've got to have at least those in there. And, and there it wouldn't have to necessarily just be one hero, too. It could be a group. It could be, you know, several folks, too. But you have to be able to answer those. And so if, if you want your pitches to get better, also not only dig into how to do that short and, you know, in quick summaries, but also dig into just storytelling trainings, tools, and fundamentals. Because once you know what those are, that all boils down into how to do it in quick little snippets as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the the example of, taking your favorite movie and trying to do this exercise is a great one, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. because make a pitch I think, for your movie. Yeah, take yes. your favorite movie, make a pitch for yeah. it. How, what would be your one sentence version of it? You know, your one paragraph version, you know, you could expand on or something. But yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, well, and I, and I think because it's something that everybody can do, right? Everyone mm -hmm. has a favorite movie. And as you guys were going through this point and I was thinking about the whole leaving people wanting more, there's this whole relatability factor right that has to be part of it which you have to think about it of how am i going to relate to this person that is my audience in the situation of the elevator pitch or any story really and what are they going to take away so when we think about this point of leaving them wanting more it's let me get them sort of eating out of the palm of my hand because i'm really going in for the kill <laughs> which is a lot of times part of these stories of bringing them to me and wanting them to do the trail after right leave the elevator with me ask if i can walk with them or, or whatever the case might be mm -hmm to be able to have them it almost kind of flips it right it's no longer about me telling the story to them it's like them being like but but wait what happened next or, or right. whatever those questions are and now they jumped into it in. that's right yes. yeah. yeah yep yeah that is really well said and i think a great way to summarize a lot of what we talked about in this four points so let me actually and summarize the four points <laughs> um so how to create a compelling elevator pitch Keep it short by using sound bites. The biggest mistake people will make is that they try to load too much into an elevator pitch. Instead, use sound bites that set up the challenge, provide a solution, give a compelling anecdote, end with a need or a question, depending on the audience. Second is know your audience and be intentional. Since your elevator pitch needs to be short, you may need to make some assumptions about what your audience knows or doesn't know, cares or doesn't care about. And you can't, as Shane said, you can't BS your way through an elevator pitch, or you really <laughs> shouldn't try to. The third is make sure the POD or the point of difference comes through. So this can be implied or it, or it can be explicit. And we've talked a lot, and that was a very rich conversation about what a POD can be in the range of PODs. So go back and re-listen to that section multiple times because that is gold. And fourth, leave them wanting more. As we mentioned in the first point, you want to encourage further dialogue, inquiry, discovery. So you need to leave them wanting more. You don't want to tell them the end of the story. You want them to help shape and then actually can progress the story, right? Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. 
These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. So our next segment is in the trenches. This is where we're going to give a little more real world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application. So any of you guys should be able to digest and put into action. So our first in the trenches question is, I always get so nervous in impromptu situations because it feels so awkward when I know the person, but they don't know me. How do I start the conversation? It's a good one. Yeah. And really the most direct way that I found is to actually introduce yourself, um, but introduce yourself in the context and the framework for which we've just provided that allows you to kind of actually integrate your role into this. So I'll give a little bit of an anecdote. Um, when I was working on the London 2012 Olympic Games and I was actually in London, um, our then current CEO, um, he was visiting and I introduced myself and I said, hi, I'm Ann Candida from USCR. And he goes, what's you, sir? <laughs> so that was a total complete fail when he comes to a pitch. <laughs> All right, so then I was like, oh, that didn't go well. Um, so what I probably should have said is something like, you know, I'm running day to day comm operations in order to make P&G one of the most popular sponsors of the Olympics. Again, that's something that's probably going to roll off the tongue if you haven't thought about it ahead of time. Yes. And some people would say, oh, that sounds like really salesy. But I bet if I would have said that he would have like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's different. Nobody actually says that. Tell me more. Right. Yes. So don't like get all wrapped up in the way that you think it sounds to some extent or how you think it, my people might perceive you just as we said try it test and learn it see if how people react to it and then you can adjust now there's another aspect of this where you know generally ceos expect everyone to know who they are but if they don't and or if this is somebody else who's maybe not a ceo Start with some sort of interaction where you have like come into contact with them, even if you didn't come into contact directly. So maybe it was in a town hall they gave or maybe um, it was in some sort of presentation they gave. So just kind of try to find a connection point so it doesn't feel as awkward just to be like, hey, I'm in, you know, that kind of thing. But again, the, the goal of this impromptu is to really generate rapport and, and dialogue. It's not to like try to like do your... 10 seconds pitch in order to get like a hundred thousand dollars that's what a lot of people <laughs> that's do not how that works like, hey it's my moment i'm going to ask for my raise or i'm going to ask for my money for my project that's that's generally you know it takes a little bit more style and finesse than that but shane what's your thoughts on this one yeah well i mean to go back to something you know i mentioned earlier that's why i'd always have a handful of different kind of pitches ready yep. right in, in yes. practice because uh, and that could be different situations as well as different times too you know are you talking about yourself and certain skills that you have or you know passions is it more about a particular product or service that you have an idea for what are you trying to create interest around and you've again got to get across that real quick what is this about and why should they care and so just always go back and think about what you would say. And I love your counsel of have it prepared, have it prepared because I mean, again, some people can wing it and it comes off awesome, but it's, that's a riskier thing to do. It is yeah. uh, one, one of the things I would recommend uh, for folks, especially if you get nervous around some of those kinds of situations, uh, take some improv classes. Right. Improv classes have become so popular in business and I've taken many of them and I love them. And, it's not that they expect you to get up and do comedy routines and stuff. They don't. You learn improv because it's all about the the accepting the situation, adapting to it quickly, and then reacting and doing it in a way that still feels confident and comfortable. 
Uh, even if it's something that they do catch you off guard with a question or something like, oh gosh, I hadn't thought about that angle of it or so, you know, you st that's still going to happen and you've got to be ready for it. Uh, but improv classes help with that a lot. And you can find those in almost every city, I believe, in every city. And, you know, just sign up for some of the improv basics, you know, the yes and principle, you know, it's accepting what was just said or happened and then adding right to it, just running with it, you know, but they get you comfortable with that, which is, which I think is an important thing. Oh, the last thing I would say too, I think it was Robert Frost had a great quote where he said, no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. Basically, his point in that was that you have to be the mirror of the emotion that you want your audience to feel. So, you know, and sometimes we forget about that, but actually how you present it can be just as important as the content itself. Because, you know, if, if you're in the elevator and they ask and you're Oh, my pitch. Well, you know, I don't I haven't really thought much about it, but yeah, you know, what I mean? I, I'm exaggerating. But if you act unexcited, if you act unenthusiastic, if you act not passionate about it, it's hard for them to then want to be if you're not going to show that. So, you know, when, when you deliver it, give that great enthusiasm, you know, show that you're comfortable talking about it, that you're confident about it, and that you're passionate about the idea, uh, make sure that comes through as well. Yes, and. Um, <laughs> Excellent, that's perfect, that's perfect. You're good student, that's, that's perfect, that's perfect. Um, I think there's also the practice of speaking to other people, yes. like the conversation piece of it. And I think that there's a lack of this going on right now, quite frankly given COVID and not having to have these interactions with others. You talked about improv and I think that's super smart. And I'm someone who's a, a well, I am definitely a student. You just saw that, but <laughs> <laughs> presentation skills and finessing the way you speak yes. and yes. having the ability to speak confidently, but not overtaking the room. I mean, there's just so many nuances and one of my tangents is some worry about the next generation and not being in an office and having to converse with people on a regular mm -hmm. basis and having that built in forum to be able to do that. Sure, sure. But as you were talking, I was just thinking so much about, well, I said art before, but conversation in and of itself is an art. And Absolutely so is. Yeah. practicing this and practicing. I mean, I remember being super young and being in rooms that I really had no business being in at the time, but a CEO that took me under his wing and I was a, a gopher, a doer, all the things for him, right? I was, I was working hard and that's why he wanted me there. But then I would be given opportunities to stand up in front of these rooms of people that were tenured far beyond my years and just standing literally in front of a mirror and thinking to myself, I have to exude confidence. Otherwise, I'm going to lose them. So how do I do up. that? Yeah. How am I going to show up? And then how am I going to continue the conversation? It was I have to give the presentation and then I have to be available for questions and then I have to go to cocktail hour. And what do I have to offer these people? But I just think it's so important to all the points that were made in this question and throughout the episode to be able to converse with others and know how to do that well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so you, you quoted Robert Frost. I think the tendency for a lot of people when <laughs> in that question is the more Mark Twain quote, which is better be quiet and let people think you're stupid than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? That was Mark Twain, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. Something like that, you're right, yeah. yes. So yeah. I might have paraphrased that a little bit, but as you were saying that, I was like, that's what people's tendency is. And I think what you yeah. hear all of us say is, 
you need to get over that. You need to do the more of the Robert Frost side of, of, of the, uh, of the storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So our second in the trenches question, how do I know I have a strong pitch? Um, I'll be a little flippant, but I think it's true when I say when you get the response you want, mm -hmm. but Shane, I know you've looked at multiple pitches from multiple different angles. And you, like you said, you coach and train people all around this whole kind of topic. So how do you kind of help people figure out how to like iterate and test and learn and what should they expect from the person, their audience, when they know that they're actually getting that attention that they so seek? So, you know, this one, again, uh, this is where I think testing really comes in. And the great thing about a pitch is it's not like you have to write 12 pages, you know, before you can test it. I mean, you write in a sentence or two, which is great, you know, so you can be very iterative with it. Uh, and oftentimes what I'll do, especially with my group of close editors, you know, who are my friends that I'm like, I know that they can, they'll give me some, you know, really constructive feedback is I'll send, you know, a page of iteration sometimes of the same pitch. You know, here's I uh, slightly focus more on this point. This one, I slightly focus more on this particular point. This, are you, you know, in which ones are, you know, and I kind of have them, you know, you can have them power dot it. You can have you do it however you want. You can just have a conversation or, you know, whatever makes the most sense. But the key is you're getting reaction and then you're iterating off of it. Diverge, converge, diverge, converge, right? Uh, it's called a first draft for a reason because it's never meant to be your last. Otherwise, we'd start with final draft, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so there should be, you know, some kind of some some development there and, and testing some things out. But you know, the other big thing is make sure the POD, the point of difference, comes out in the pitch in some way. Because even those simple pitches that that you know I had gotten online and and you know shared earlier, like what if a kid went back in time. And interfere with his parents relationship or what if you could go to a zoo today and see real dinosaurs going to a zoo is not the pod there anybody can go to a zoo the pod is the real dinosaurs bit that they threw in or the what if you had a thousand songs in your pocket having a music player that fits in your pocket was not the pod i mean the walkman was out i mean you know I, it, it, that stuff was there it was the thousand songs bit that was the really interesting part of that you know or booking a room with locals and said, with well, booking a room is not the POD. It's booking a room in someone's house in a local community. Now that was interesting. So make sure that POD is clear and is somewhere in there. It can be subtle uh, or it could be very overt and, you know, try different versions of it and see which one really says your message best. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super smart. And I, I think back to the Thing you made Anne about being a little bit flippant with this one <laughs> I mean I think yeah. it is it is true when you get those responses you want and then I think Shane to your point when you really work at it right so it's a combination of you get the response you want because you've worked really hard to get that response that you want and I think the piece of that too is always be working to make it better and more impactful so the draft thing really resides with me as as well as such a good point you're almost never done Right. right. So if your elevator pitch gets stale, then it's no longer going to pay off in the long run. You have to keep working at it. You have to keep iterating because you're never going to be talking to the same person and giving the same elevator pitch at that same moment in time. So right. you've got to make sure mm -hmm. that you're always focused and working on it and doing your homework and continuing to be better. Yeah. My favorite one that you used to use, Shane, you probably still do, was it, is it Jaws in Space? Yeah. Yeah. Aliens, right? Yeah, which is, is totally not mine, by the way. That's that's just a famous one. That <laughs> that's the one that you use, up. right? But a great one uh, for Alien, for Alien. Yeah. yeah. How Jaws simple in space. is that? With, yeah. The, yeah. with this very clear point, a, D, a POD where you're like, 
And you can totally conceptualize what that whole thing would be like. Yeah. Just yes. Those the, the, that, by the way, is the title even of a great book. Uh, it's literally called Jaws in Space, and it's all about powerful pitching. I mean, it's it's very kind of from a Hollywood angle, but the principles are, are still the same. It's by um, Charles Harris. Hi, highly, uh, highly recommended. <laughs> wow. You guys can't see it, but he literally he just, pulled, just up the book. pulled the book up. It's like I knew. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> and that was and, not rehearsed. And, and another good one, everybody to try, is called uh, Selling Your Story in 60 Seconds. Oh, uh, by Michael Haig. Also really, really good book with some, some helpful tips and tricks and things like that. I love that. All right. Our third in the trenches question. Okay. I'm in with my elevator pitch. Now I need the full version pitch. <laughs> what are your suggestions for building that? And I know Shane, you gave a really good comprehensive overview of storytelling in one of the earlier points that we were making, but can you give a little bit more specifics about like maybe the process that people should be going through in order to be thinking about how to like then take their elevator pitch into something that's a little bit more elaborate? And again, everyone has their own you know process to, to do some of these things. But something I find helpful is, again, to deconstruct the storyline a bit and take, you know, my this product idea, this brand idea, this service, whatever it is you're writing, you know, a pitch for. And, and start to list out some of the ingredients, you know, who, who is the main target audience for this, write detail about them. They're dealing with this, this is this, this is this, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, also, what is it that they're after? What is their core desire? What is the key problem that's keeping them from already solving this problem? You know, how will this you know thing come into play? What is the POD for this? What are the POPs for it? And, you know, write those down too. That way you don't confuse the two. That way you see both. What are the points of parity? But then also what are the points of difference that really set it apart? Um, you know, and once you've got these kind of ingredients sitting and those could each be on a post-it, they could be just on some loose paper, whatever, then start to find combinations of how to work that all in. Maybe one version of the pitch has a target audience very clear. Maybe one actually suggests a target audience by just the problem. And people that identify with that problem could say, oh, wait, that's me. I could see myself in that. So you could you, you can play with around with different combinations of it. Um, if if you have to write out a whole story to then unpack it, that is one method. You know, I, I find it easier to start small and add as I go. But some for some people, it's easier to write down the you know what, write a, a page and a half on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then go back and start trimming and cutting, you know. Whatever is easiest for you to get the thoughts and details, because, you know, if it's something really complex, maybe you're having, you know, it's maybe got a really complex tech technology in it or something. It may be easier to write it all out and everything it does and how it does it and then step back and look at it and say, what's actually most important about that page long pair? You know, what is the key point? What is the key takeaway? What is the thing that truly separates this and makes it unique? Then pull that out. Um, but, but the key is to sit down and do some writing. That is the key. <laughs> practice, practice, practice. You know, again, draft, draft, draft. It, it, it's it's funny, you know, even something that's one se one sentence is far tougher than one page. It is right. far, far. You would think it'd be the opposite Agreed. because it's so fewer words. It's actually far more difficult because now you've got to make some really hard choices on what really belongs in that one sentence. Where if you got a whole page, you can talk about lots of stuff. You know, you can put it all in there. Uh, but yeah, practice, practice, practice. Well, and I think it it's getting over the intimidation factor too, yeah, right? What you just said, I do think it's, well, I do agree it's way easier to write and write and write versus have to focus. But I think it's, the point is well taken of just get started and then keep going and don't overthink it. Because I think 
that's where people start to get stuck and then they get in their own heads and then they don't ask anyone else. And then they think yes. they have the perfect pitch and then they go to pitch it and no one reacts. I mean, you can see that snowball effect and how that could happen really, yeah. really easily. And you bring up a great point, which is the longer you're staring at something, the more you, you, you start to potentially overthink it. And so, and that is why you've got to take a break, step away from it. And the great thing is email it to some friends again, you know, Hey, I'm sending you a paragraph. Do me a favor. You know, read through this. Tell me what you think. And then then wait until after they've done it and then send some questions or something. Like, you know, what do you think this was? What what was this about? What was your favorite part? What what was your least favorite part? Um, what kind of product is this? Can you tell me that? Uh, you know, what do you think the, the most unique benefit of it is given what you've read? I, you know, I don't think about what the question should be, but uh, do that. it'll let you take a break from it. And at the same time, now you're getting some quick feedback. It'll take somebody, especially if it's a sentence or two, it'll take them 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes. Uh, you could do it over the phone. You could do it via email. You could do it via Zoom or Teams or whatever. You you, know, you do, do it however you want. But do take some time to step away from the content as you're doing it. Because you're right. You can get into <laughs> yep. it for too long. Yeah. That's a good point. All right, so our third and final segment is a Marketing Smarts Moment. When we have a guest, we turn this segment over to them to wrap us up and really bring us home. So Shane, anything else that you would like to add, please tell everybody where to find you. Please tell them about your book. Help bring this and wrap this all up for us. Oh, well, geez, so thank you. First of all, thank you again for, for having me. Uh, this, was, this was a lot of fun. Always fun to talk pitch writing. Um, and yeah, and, and folks, um, so again, my name's Shane Meeker. Yeah, if you're ever needing a, a good story workshop or you're working on some pitch writing or whatever, you know, uh, I, I can definitely help. Uh, I mean, hey, all I can say is what if some methods and tools used to create your favorite movies and TV shows could actually be your secret to better business storytelling, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, right, right. So, something like that, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want to talk more uh, or if you want to, jump on a quick call or something like that. My email is storymythos at gmail.com. My website is www.storymythos.com and that's S-T-O-R-Y-M-Y-T-H-O-S. Um, and uh, let me know if I can be of help. Let me know if I can be of help. Uh, always happy. Or if you just want to talk favorite movies, let me know. We can do that <laughs> so oh, then, and then, you know, you haven't, you didn't mention it, but your book is a really good overview and synopsis of like everything we've talked about. So you want to mention it? Yeah, it's uh, and that's on Amazon and Kindle. Uh, and it's called Story Mythos, A Movie Guide to Better Business Stories. So yeah, it's basically kind of a, a summary of the journey and the insights I learned by taking everything I was learning as I was studying film and filmmaking uh, into then turning that into, you know, tools and fundamentals and tips and tricks and whatnot, uh, creating different kinds of business stories across a wide gamut of things. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a very flexible medium to think about, but uh, yes, definitely check that out as well. Yes. I, I encourage everybody to do that and it'll change the way that you think about the way that you create content. Absolutely. Without a doubt. All right, so just to recap, how to create a compelling elevator pitch. Keep it short by using sound bites. The biggest mistake people will make is that they try to load too much into an elevator pitch. Second is know your audience and be intentional. Since your elevator pitch needs to be short, you may need to make assumptions about what your audience knows, doesn't know, cares about, doesn't care about, in order to be able to relate to them. Uh, third is make sure the POD or point of difference comes through. This can be implicit or explicit. Either way, it needs to be there and it needs to be clear. 
And finally, leave them wanting more. As we mentioned in the first point, you want to encourage further dialogue and create discovery. So you need to leave them wanting more. And with that, we'll say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.